My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Good morning, and welcome to Grand Valley Church Online. If you haven't met me before, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm really excited that you're here with us, whether that's here on Sunday morning, if you're watching this on demand later, or if you're listening to our podcast later. I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with us, and I hope that this message today helps you grow in your faith, because that's what we're about here at Grand Valley. We want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a link in the description to fill out our online connect card. And if you have questions about our church or questions about faith, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called I Am, looking at Jesus in his own words. And we're looking at a series of metaphors that Jesus used to describe himself to his disciples, to his followers, and even to the religious leaders that didn't really understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. And the reason we're doing this study in the Gospel of John is that any understanding of Christianity must start with knowing Jesus. Jesus is at the very core of our faith, and all of our understanding about who God is often is filtered through who Jesus is, how God stepped into the world to reveal himself to us. Now, in John's Gospel, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. And so he's writing this down later on in his life to tell people about who Jesus is. And we're going to pick up this last I am statement on the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples. And this is a time where Jesus gives them a sort of a farewell address. This is the last chance that he has to really teach and impart wisdom and tell them about what's going to happen. Now, what I find interesting about this now is even though the chapter and verse markers came much later and they were added to scripture after the fact, if you look at John's gospel, 12 chapters tell the events of three years of Jesus' life. And then he writes five chapters devoted to just this last evening. And that should speak to us about how important John saw this last evening that Jesus had with his disciples. And in the middle of this five-chapter chunk, there's this verse that really stands out as a bit of a thesis statement on this whole teaching. And Jesus says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. See, Jesus knew his disciples were worried. Jesus had been telling them that he was going to have to go away, but he's saying, don't worry, don't be troubled, don't be afraid, because the peace I am giving you is a gift the world cannot give. In fact, peace does not mean that everything will be smooth sailing and easy. In fact, peace means that we can be stable and calm because of who God is and the peace he gives to us when everything around us is swirling and is chaotic we can find peace. And that is the gift that Jesus was leaving with his disciples through his teaching and through the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come later and to be with them and within them. Now, what's interesting is at this point of time in the first century, this 200-year chunk of time around when Jesus lived was known as the most peaceful time period in history. But that peace, which was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, was created by the sword. It was created by Rome's military rule. But the peace that Jesus offers 
is created by God's presence being with us. Now, as Jesus gives this teaching to his disciples, he knows that they're about to face their most difficult challenge yet. How are they going to continue to follow Jesus and live out his way of life? Because in a few short hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be put on a trial. Even though there's no legitimate charges against him, he's going to be crucified. And the disciples scatter and go into hiding. And so as they're facing all this uncertainty, how will they continue to follow Jesus after? And so to help them in this, Jesus gives a teaching. And this passage we're going to go to is found in John 15, where Jesus gives this teaching that if you grew up in church, you've probably heard and read many times before. But I want to encourage you to look at it with fresh eyes, to try and see this as the disciples heard it for the first time, because we can sometimes be a little critical of the disciples saying, how come they can't understand it when we have this advantage of so many centuries of study and understanding and development of how we interpret scripture today. So if we look at this for the first time, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Now right away, what's unique about this is that Jesus brings the Father into it. That's the first time he's done this in one of these I am statements. He says, I am the grapevine and my Father is the gardener. And right away, this creates the image of a garden. And a garden is a place where life is nurtured and grows. And many of you maybe have been planting your gardens recently and you're starting to see life growing. A couple nights ago when I was putting our plants in so that when there was a frost warning, a friend of ours gave us these plants and I'm not a great gardener. And so she gave us established plants that have a much better shot at life than anything I could have grown from a seedling. And as I was carrying in the pepper plant, I realized there's already two peppers starting to form on it. And I was kind of excited at this moment of being like, hey, there's life. This is happening. At some point, I'm going to get to eat those peppers if all goes well. But so Jesus creates this image of a garden, of a place where life is nurtured and it grows. And then here's what Jesus says next. He talks about the gardener. He says, the gardener, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do produce fruit so that they will produce every, produce even more. Now this creates this image of the gardener's role, that the gardener, as they tend to their plants, has to sometimes take parts of the plant off so that it produces fruit. And when Jesus is talking about vine, in that area in the Mediterranean, likely he had the image of a grapevine in mind. And a grapevine, if it is overgrown, doesn't produce many grapes. The gardener has to know what to do to make it bear fruit. And the ones that are producing can be pruned properly to produce even more. And we got to ask sometimes, what do you think Jesus means when he says produce fruit? Because we sometimes have a tendency to right away jump to Galatians, to Paul's writings and say, oh, he must be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not wrong. That's not incorrect. But I think Jesus actually means something a little different here. And if we go earlier in John's gospel to right after Jesus met the woman at the well, which was the first message in this series that we looked at, the first I am statement, Jesus, after he was talking with the woman at the well, he turned to his disciples a little later and he said this to them. He said, for you know the saying, 
four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. This part where he says the fields are ripe, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And this talks about a theme that Jesus has been developing all through his ministry, talking about the world being reshaped and renewed and redeemed by the presence of Jesus and his followers in the world, that God has given us a task to work towards. And so I think when Jesus talks about the branches producing fruit, he is describing the accomplishment of God's purposes for the whole world. That this is about making tangible, real impacts in our world for God's kingdom. And if we jump over to Matthew's gospel for a moment, at a time when he was teaching about prayer, Jesus said this, he said, when you pray, and this is one of the verses from that prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer, it says, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a description of may our world be reshaped and reformed by the way that God intends for it to be. This is about God's kingdom becoming a reality. And so the next verse Back to John 15, he says, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He prunes off the branches so that they will produce fruit. And then he says this, he says to his disciples, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I give you. Now he brings the disciples into this metaphor that you are the branches that are attached to the vine that the father is tending. And so right away, it's conjuring up this image of the central vine is what is rooted in the soil, gathering its nutrients from. And it is carrying those nutrients and giving it out to the branches, to the disciples, to Jesus' followers who have been pruned and purified. And when he says by the message, that word in the original Greek is the same word that John used at the very beginning of his gospel that we talked about earlier in this message, where it is the word. But it's not just a word, it is the word that brings purpose and life. So he's saying to his disciples, you have been pruned and purified by the word that brings life and purpose that I have given you. See, Jesus is telling his disciples that he has been preparing them to send them into the world and continue his ministry. And now Jesus gets really blunt and direct with this. He says to his disciples this, and this is the part that maybe we remember the most if we've grown up in a faith tradition of saying, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. See, Jesus is focusing on this idea of remaining. And the word that we have as remain in our English scriptures today can also be translated as abide, as connection, as to dwell with. And Jesus is saying, if you dwell in me, I will dwell in you. This is the image of God having a relationship with us. And that would have been so foreign and unknown and such a new concept of a way of understanding someone's relationship with God that no other faith, no other religious background, no other spirituality carries. But this is something that we have is this 
unique closeness with God that he promises, that he gives himself to us, and that he remains in us as we remain in him. He says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. If we want to be part of God's kingdom work, of his kingdom becoming reality, of his hope and his love saturating our world and changing the way things are, then we have to be connected to Jesus. And so he repeats himself. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus repeats his point. Then he adds his part, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that leads to this next verse. And this next verse is oftentimes we'd prefer to stop the teaching at verse five and not go to verse six. Because what Jesus says next is this. He says, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. And so we would rather skip that verse and say, now let's just focus on being connected to the vine, about producing fruit, about being pruned so that we can produce more fruit, we can do good things for God's kingdom, and we'd rather ignore this verse. But here's what Jesus is getting at. He is just driving this point home of saying, I want you to be connected with me. He's saying to his disciples, you need to just really focus in on your faith, on your relationship with me. Because if it's not, when a branch is cut off from the vine, it withers away and it has no purpose for the kingdom of God. In fact, I think Jesus used a vine on purpose because when a tree branch is pruned, that branch can, something could be built out of it. It can be used for a purpose. But a vine branch has no purpose. And remember, Jesus is talking specifically about building his kingdom here. He's saying, if you become disconnected from me, you won't be able to build my kingdom the way I intend for it. So Jesus goes on. He says, but if you remain in me and my words that give life and purpose, remain in you. You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Jesus is giving a promise to his disciples here. And sometimes this verse gets taken a little too far, and we think that we should just be able to ask for absolutely anything we want, and God should have to give it to us. But we have to ask ourselves a question first. Are we asking with desires that have been pruned by the gardener? Are we asking with a desire that where our selfishness has already been pruned away? Are we asking with desires that are about God's kingdom happening? Because Jesus explains this in the next verse. He says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. And again, here we see a little picture of this relationship between Jesus, the Father, knowing that both are God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this little glimpse of how they work together, that as being disciples of Jesus, we bring glory to the Father. Now, God isn't some egomaniac that requires glory. But what Jesus is talking about here is that when God is glorified, when people start to see who God is through the way we live our lives, that is what betters our world. As we are agents of hope and love, and peace, and redemption, and restoration, that elevates who God is and how people see and respond to God. This is what brings glory to God, and that is better for everyone. 
And so then Jesus wraps up with this. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, Jesus is pointing out and he's drawing it back to love. He's saying, I have loved you as the Father loves me. So remain in my love. That meaning that being connected to the vine means we are remaining firmly in God's love for us. God's love that can never be removed, will never end, will never be taken away from us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We have to just choose to remain in it. And then Jesus says again, I have told you these things so you will be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. And I can just imagine on that evening, thinking about just a few hours from now when Jesus was going to be arrested. The disciples weren't feeling joy then. But maybe some of them had this in the back of their mind, that joy is going to come out of what Jesus was doing. See, when Jesus told his disciples this metaphor about the vine, he was preparing to send them into the most difficult challenge they had ever experienced. In fact, after Jesus' death, they would get to experience his resurrection. And they would get to experience seeing God firsthand, seeing Jesus in the flesh, born again. Jesus coming and telling them and giving them these teachings that brought clarity and sense to what he had spoken before. And then he promises the Holy Spirit to them and says they will be empowered to tell the whole world about Jesus. And in fact, if we think about this, we're sitting here 2,000 years later. We're only here because those disciples followed that through. We're here because thousands of generations of people have existed to lead and to teach and to carry our understanding of God forward, that we as a people can know our Savior. We can know the one who created the world, who loves us dearly, and has a plan for the world. And we get to be part of that when we remain connected to Jesus. So that leads us to a couple questions that I want to give. And these are questions to reflect on, to think about. Uh, I'd encourage you to talk it over with someone if you like to verbally process things like me. But these are questions to dig in, to ask ourselves. And the first one is this, how am I remaining connected to Jesus? How am I remaining connected to the vine, to Jesus' love? What helps me remember and see the way that Jesus loves me? Because when we see that, that's when we're able to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world. We're able to do a better job of bringing faith and hope and life into the world. And then this question might be a little more difficult. What needs to be pruned away in my life? What are the things that maybe I need to let go of and set aside and say, I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to speak those words. What needs to be pruned away so that we can be part of what God is doing. And that leads to the third question. How am I helping to grow the kingdom of God? What am I doing to help people see who Jesus is? What am I doing to help people come to understand God's incredible love? And this can be in small ways. This can be in the little things that sometimes we don't even realize that that's what influenced someone to see God's love for them. This is something that we carry with ourselves wherever we go. 
is we carry God's presence with us. And as we carry that well, we can help grow the kingdom of God. We can see our world be reshaped and reformed into what God wants it to be. Let me end just by praying about these things together. God, thank you for your teachings. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the vine and that your love is there to draw us near and to guide us and to lead us. And so, Lord, we pray that these would be questions we wrestle with. But how are we being connected to you? What are the things that maybe we need to prune away? And how can we be your partners in building your kingdom? And so, God, I pray that you would guide us as we ask these questions, that you would help us dive into what they mean for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. And so just before you close out of this video or if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to give you a little preview of what we're going to be talking about next week. We're going to be starting a new series called Bible Study, How to Read the Bible. In fact, this is a time when all of us could choose to focus on our personal devotions. And in fact, spending time in scripture is one of the most personally transformative things we can do. But often when it comes to reading scripture, we don't know where to begin. We don't know how to start, or maybe we don't know how things are connected to other things. Or maybe if you just flip to a random chapter, you're like, what is going on here? And so we're going to be spending a couple weeks diving into how do we read the Bible? How do we read scripture? How do we help ourselves understand it? And how can this help us grow in our faith? And so I hope that you'll join us online again next week as we dive into this series together. So I hope you have a great week and hope to see you online next Sunday. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.